<laughs> We're doing villains now. I'm Dracula. Hi, and welcome to Pass the Golden Popcorn, an MTV Movie Awards podcast where we look at all the various films that nominate for MTV Movie Awards in all the various categories and try and figure out who really should have won. I'm Kenny Sage, a foremost movie expert. And I'm Ben Gregg, a foremost villainy expert. I had, uh, I had to do some um, external training between now and, uh, and last episode to, to shape yeah, up. Yeah, you were still a kissing expert, which did not help us for <laughs> best sandwich exploration. No, not at all. But um, no, I've been, um, I've been taking candy from babies. Uh, I've just been doing some really evil things. Um, you know, just generally trying to get the vibe, you know. I don't think yeah. I don't think I'm gonna be able to match some of our later contenders, um, given that some of them are like sexual assaulters. Um, but I'm pretty happy about that one, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we can definitely say that no matter how evil you act, you're not gonna be as evil as like literal slave owners or sexual assault committers there's a limit i was um maybe i I, i'm still so this is like only our first year um yeah all of the villains were these were these were bad guys uh and lady um (laughs) like uh yeah also like first year out the bat glass ceiling is broken uh girls can be evil too um but like, Technically, we are not introduced to what we're doing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is, yeah. Today, we're talking about Best Villain, 1992, and this is our first episode in our brand new season on, like, Best Villain. It's, I say season, but I'm also not going to take the time to figure out how to split the episodes into the distinct seasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're going to be, yeah, sometimes, you know, we're, we'll, we'll usually go down one track until the very end. Um, but yeah, like... A lot of villainy. Like, I was expecting... I was expecting at least, like, one, like, campy bad guy that's, like, like in like in the final, like, Shrek dance party at the end. Like, haven't... Like, ah, they're, like, they're kind of, like, rat... Like, I don't think, like, the Karate Kid guy is, like, a horrible person. <laughs> um, like, somebody like that. But all of these uh, contenders are, like, not people I want to be around at all. <laughs> I mean, I'll say, like, a couple of the performances get pretty close into camp territory. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, one, I think, yeah, probably the cl- uh, I'm gonna say, I want to say the closest might be, um, like, Wesley Snipes. I feel like as long as, like, he's, like, on your side. Um, but then, I spoilers, he uses, he uses a kid as, like, a human shield, um, I don't. I don't think there's anything more villainy than that. Um, as like as like a single action, and like and I'm glad the movie. Sorry, I, I guess I'll. This is my one little. Um, uh, new, is it New Jack City, um, thing before we? I think we talk about it last. Um, I'm glad the movie confirmed that for me, because um, I was like, was Wesley Snipes' character like was he like trying to pick up the kid to like get her get her out of the way of gunfire? But they confirm it later that no, he was using it as a human shield, um, <laughs> which I appreciate. I appreciate that the people who made that movie definitely they knew that some guy like me was gonna have questions. Yeah, look, 
there's no time for like nuance when you got like villainy to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> oh, exactly. But yeah, this is definitely like a crop. I know what you mean, and I think down the line we get kind of different varieties of villains and honestly initially with the setup for like we'll get to the hand that rocks the cradle shortly but the setup i'm like oh is this kind of like an anti-villain thing because that villain at least you kind of get her motivation for like doing it but then she just gets progressively worse and you're like oh yeah i know she's bad like it's yeah um yeah it is really like it is really strange um because, like, yeah, it, I think she gets, like, a little more unhinged as the movie goes on, like, little by little. Um, but, like, oh, boy, I just, I don't know. I, on, on like, the villain bell curve, I was, I was, like, enthralled with, like, the games she was playing. <laughs> um, like, absolutely. Oh, yeah. And, and it is, like, pretty good. Like, if you actually look at looking kind of the years the first three years of this category are all won by kind of female villains um yeah yeah whether they yeah whether whether maybe this is sexist in itself because they're suggesting that all women are evil who knows yeah but exactly i don't know why they introduced this <laughs> like right off of the show but <laughs> yeah well um it's funny you say that because um i was looking at the hand that rocks the cradle it's apparently like a pretty I don't want to say unliked movie, but it, I, I, I enjoyed it like quite a bit. I was shocked that it was pretty. It was panned pretty hard, and there was even an article um, from '92 that called it like a, it was like an anti-feminist like, it was like a pain in labor to watch, um, which is, I don't know how I feel about that because I feel like this is one of the one of the few movies I've seen that fails the gender-bent Bechtel test. I don't think there are two men in this movie that talk about something that's not a woman. Um, but and I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of nuance here. I read the whole article. It was like a paragraph. And like I feel like they make good points um, about how like about how like all of the female characters like like um, like it's it's it has like a message of like you should just be a good mom and not work on your stupid greenhouse um whoever wrote the article had a lot of passion about this movie and i respect that yeah i'll say a lot of like i think a lot of these 90 thrillers maybe don't get as appreciated in their time and people kind of come around on them later um yeah no i just um it was just interesting because I, I I don't know I just um, yeah I'll have to read that article yeah that yeah good. like because anti-feminist was not the first thing that jumped out to me and I'm always I'm very fascinated by people's like when people have like a reception to something that doesn't that doesn't resonate with me at all I'm always happy to yeah. read it on those um, but yeah um, we also have the modern perspective of like 2022 where you're like wait the premise of this movie is a woman like reports a sexual assault and is believed immediately. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah that was the other thing that like oh my like i don't know i don't know if we want to talk anything about the 1992 empty movie awards like we did with our kiss category if we want to just jump right into the movies um, uh, well i mean oh yeah we we can get into it though if you have like a i mean or i'll t touch a bit on 1992 so though if you have like another point you want to make on this first this little preview we get yeah yeah i just uh the first like 10 minutes of of the hand the rocks or maybe 20 minutes because i had it two times speed 
is just insanity. It's just like stuff is just happening so rapid fire. It calms down a little bit, um, but just it 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 gets so much information out there um, so fast in like a way that is so it's so of the era um, that like yeah like sometimes you had like a lot of complicated things to set up and like you didn't get to have like a three hour movie where you can set it up. You just need to be like yep like there's a there's a doctor. He does does a horrible, deplorable thing, and then he gets then he gets uh, charged and he kills himself, and then that's and then the plot actually starts after that. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. Um, but well, we'll come back to Handler Proxy Cradle in a minute. So yeah, nineteen ninety two MTV Movie Awards was hosted by Dennis Miller and. Re- was recorded, assumingly la- airing a few days later, because that's something we le- learned last time, in that it didn't air live in- initially, like, though it doesn't tell us when the actual air date was, but it recorded June 10th, which also happens to be when we released the first episode of this podcast. What a fun coincidence. Oh, wow. Yeah, I noticed the yeah. like the header is so much more on the on the Wikipedia page for 1992. I didn't notice this before, but yeah, it's really sparse. It's just who it's hosted by. Um, like, so it does not cite any sources. According <laughs> to I guess we just have to believe. Um, yeah, that Dennis Miller did do this. Um, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah. Um... Unlike when we covered for Best Kiss and we're like, oh yeah, none of these films got Best Movie. Uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and Terminator 2 both got nominated for Best Movie and Terminator 2 won, actually. Yeah, oh my gosh. I, man, I want to watch the Terminator. I've never, I think I've seen the first and second Terminator uh, before this. I I don't think I've seen anything else. Um... I'm really scared to watch all of them, though. Because, like, I, I, I've never really... I don't think I've ever actively watched two, but I really enjoyed it. Um, and I, apparently is I would... I think if you, you have your... You have your finger to the pulse of the zeitgeist more than I do. Um, Terminator 2 is seen as, like, the best one, right? Yes. Um, by, like, by a long, long shot. It's, yeah. well, so, some people might give it to the first Terminator, but, yeah, the idea is... The first two Terminators are considered the best one, and then the series from that point is you'll find like handful of people who who go for like Terminator three. Um, I'm not I'm not sure if anyone goes for like the fourth one with Christian Bale Salvation, and I am I've never met anyone who likes Terminator Genesis, but I am. A gr- part of the group who loves Terminator Dark Fate, which was the most recent one yeah. that came out a couple years ago. I really, I really want to give like a deep dive and like attention to it. Um, but yeah, like I, I but I, I felt that watching it because I feel like I had like a, I had like a Matrix Reloaded moment where, I, where I was like, oh, like all the iconic stuff I know about this series is from this movie, and I was like, what the hell was the first one even about? Um, if all of these things are from this movie. Um. Yeah, we will get into it, but the first one, like, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger barely talks. Um, He does say, I'll be back. That is, like, in the, that is a thing from the first film. I remember that scene where he crashes into the building, but, like, yeah, it's just, and 
In the first one, doesn't he use like the like the coffin as like the shield? Is that a I think that that's a scene that existed, or am I imagining something? Um, yeah, I've not seen the first one in a long time, but that sounds right. Um, but but yeah, he's very impressive, very impressive, very imposing villain, and so of course he's like one of the heroes in this one. Yeah, yeah, that's um, that was something too. Where like I was like, oh yeah, I was like, wait, who's the villain from the first Terminator? I can, I was like, who who would it even be? And I was like, oh yeah, right, it is like, it is the good guy from this one. Yeah, well, we'll get into it. I have some information about that, and but yeah, and I thought it'd be interesting because um, not every award we cover kind of originated at this first MTV Movie Award, so I thought it'd be interesting to kind of go through like sort of the awards that w- were there at the beginning. So, you know, you got Best Movie, of course, Best Male Performance, Best Female Performance, um, Most Desirable Male and Female, the classic category they get quit after five years, probably for the best. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it, that is a strange one. Um. Yeah. <laughs> Breakthrough Performance, Best On-Screen Duel, Best Villain, Best Comedic Performance, Best Song from a Movie, Best Kiss, Best Action Sequence, and then the Best New Filmmaker Award and Lifetime Achievement Award, which Lifetime Achievement went to Jason Voorhees from the Friday the 13th film. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to remember which which year and who was it that they, they stopped doing it because they took it really seriously and they had like a really earnest reaction to it. Um... I can't remember. Uh, yeah, it was Clint Howard. I think that's nineteen ninety eight, ninety seven. Uh, it's yeah, it's one of them where he gives such like a sincere speech. Where and the year before they had given it to like Godzilla or whoever, and they're like, "Well, we can't give this out again." Like it's yeah. Um, also, when did uh, when did Brian Adams' song play in Robin Hood? I completely missed that. Was that over the credits? Yeah, it's definitely oh, over the credits. I, I complete. I must have completely skipped it because I really like that song. Yeah, it's oh wow, a lot of a lot of movies here got best song nominations, including New Jack City's iconic "I Want to Sex You Up" <laughs> and "You Could Be Mine" from Terminator Two: Judgment Day by Guns N' Roses. <laughs> a song I'm not sure I know. Like it's, but I'm. But one of the interesting things I think when you look at best villain is they there's no best hero. I think it takes them until about the twenty tens. They maybe try give a one off in two thousand six for a best hero category. It's it is kind of this interesting thing with the category that like when it comes to movies, we tend to like gravitate to the villains more than the heroes. Yeah, <laughs> they're just they're usually a little a little more interesting. I will say that like. Um... It, it I I don't know if you I don't know if you noticed this as well. It is kind of neat to see like the contrast between like the the good the the good fam the good like the protagonist family from the hand that rocks the cradles versus the quote unquote protagonist family from Cape Fear. Um, like the husband in the hand that rocks the cradle is like he is like I don't know he's he's like a he's just a big himbo. Like he's just a big supportive marshmallow, um, 
and it makes it does make him a lot less compelling than like uh, the devious little villain. Yeah, and yeah, and it is a it is a like it is a thing. Yeah, heroes they tend to be kind of bland unless you make him flawed or you give him like a crazy backstory, like they fought in the Crusades. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Like, well, I mean, next year we talk about Batman Returns, but famously, the, the like, first time you see Batman in Batman Returns, he is just sitting on his, like, chair, unmoving, waiting for the bat signal to turn on. Like, that kind of becomes the f- thing in that, I mean, while Batman himself is interesting, he he's pretty much, like, nothing until, like, there's villains around to make him be Batman. Like, it's... Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh man! Yeah, so yeah, and looking for this series, you know, just saying a bit up front, I think we're gonna see like a really fun variety of villains from uh, a lot of varieties of of movies. It's there's something gonna be less, I think, a bit less variety than the Kiss films, as it turns out. Kind of going from like very specific '90s films to like. I think 2000s is a bit more over the place, but then eventually the 2010s is, is all, like, big franchise sequels and stuff like that. And But even still, but even still I think, like, a lot of this is interesting in its own way, and... Yeah, it's, usually, it's, like, the... Usually the... It's more likely that you're gonna find a lot more interesting, like, stuff from, like, the villain in, like, a big blockbuster thing than you are, like, the heroes. Or even, like, a kiss. Um... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like it'll, it'll be fun to talk about Black Panther or get, or Get Out. <laughs> Man, a lot of films are like, oh yeah, more white guys talking about these movies. <laughs> exactly. But, yeah. <laughs> but even that stuff like J.K. Simmons and Whiplash, who were like a character that you know, it's not like maybe maybe not the most villainous person in in the world, but like. Someone you could fit into that that category, or yeah. also excited <laughs> to eventually see Project X, a movie that, to my understanding, is just a found footage film of a party. So what? <laughs> so like, whatever yeah. villainous thing happens in that? Imagine Cloverfield, um, but nothing shows up. Um, is <laughs> oh, something shows up, all right. Miles Teller doing a lot of dancing. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and we also get to watch the Green Hornet, which I'm excited for. Um, yeah, Beowulf. <laughs> it's just it's gonna be it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a different different yeah. kind of thing than Kisses. Um, yeah, I think we watch both movies where Denzel Washington is portrayed a villain. Like, it's... <laughs> oh, it's gonna be awesome. Yeah. yeah, and we and we start off with a fun list. So if you want to get into it for best villain and. I think when I did this last week, because the Wikipedia page is formatted after film role, and I feel we can probably just leave the role out of the initial thing just for fl- just for fast flow. Um, so for best villain, nineteen ninety two, the nominees are Robert De Niro in Cape Fear, Robert Patrick Terminator Two Judgment Day, Alan Rickman Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. Wesley Snipes, New Jack City, and the winner, Rebecca De Mornay, 
in the hand that rocks the cradle. Yeah, so let's start there with Peach and Flanders slash Mrs. Mott herself. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm really glad that uh, um, n- there was really no... I wouldn't say there's no real twist villains in um, in any of these, unless you think that uh, Max Caddy was going to make a, a third act redemption. Um, uh, and I'm glad because I definitely like read this because I, I didn't want to lose track of who the villain was. Because the first, like, like we said, the first like 10 minutes of this movie are just, they are just hammering out stuff to get like a setup. And then the rest of the movie is a lot more slow uh, and a lot more methodical, which I really, really liked. Um, at least from like the villain perspective. Yeah, the first ten minutes like is just moving really quickly. This idea, yeah, you're in, you're introduced to this couple. They like have a kid. They're expecting another. They've just moved on to this na- neighborhood. Uh, yeah, kind of cl- Claire, Claire played by. Annabella, Ciora, like she gets, yeah, she gets kind of a routine checkup with her, by her obstetrician, who like Im, who very soon, like very quickly into that visit, is putting his hands places where they should not be, um, to put put things delicately, uh, just yeah. So then she reports him. More women come forward, and then. He, and then he essentially takes his own life to avoid being arrested. And his own pregnant wife is like kind of suddenly on the hook and for all these lawsuits and her, and she loses all her money and his life insurance has been voided because he took his own life and she kind of loses her own child and has to go on an emergency hysterectomy just from all the stress. So it, it is a lot to, like, throw right at you in the beginning of a movie. And it's one where you're like, oh, okay, if she's the villain, then I kind of get it. Like, it's... Yeah, uh, it's, it's, like, it's, like, one of those things where it's, it, um, it's a lot, it, it kind of is a little similar to Cape Fear in that it's, it's, like, it's, like, one part revenge and two parts more, I just want the life you took away from me, um... Yeah, it like, but I think I remember. I think about forty minutes into this movie, um, I was like, I was like, yeah, it's all right, but like, she's not really doing anything like that awful. And then just, but like, everything she does is just these like subtle moves in this big chess game to just like to just gaslight. Um, I gotta find the name of the the characters. Claire. Yeah, Claire. Um, Played by um, is it Annabella Scoria? Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. We can also probably say Claire. We yeah. don't have to learn all the exactly. names. Well. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so Claire um, is like the person that like first stepped out um, and and like um, then spoke out against like Mister Mott um, uh, or sorry, Doctor Mott. <laughs> Um. Uh, and do you think he keeps his doctorate in hell? I I feel like he has he has to that like come on like he's a bad guy but he still did all those years of school. Um. 
But yeah, um, so there's definitely like a little bit of a personal connection. And then she also like has like a baby and a kid and like a loving husband and just like everything that uh, Mrs. Uh, Mott wanted. Um, and then she, so she sort of creates this alias of uh, Paton Flanders to start nannying for the family. Um, uh, Peyton? Peyton? Yeah. It, it, oh, yeah. Yeah, I believe it's Peyton. I, I do not remember the daughter going, Paton, Paton! Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And then, like, it's just, there's no, like, there's no, like, big, horrible thing. Like, uh, there's no, like, I keep on drawing parallels to Cape Fear, I think, because I watched them one after the other, but, like, she doesn't, like, kill their dog or, like, do anything sort of huge and sort of until very close to, like, the end. Um, it's just a bunch of, like, little weird things, like, ruining her fancy dress that the husband bought. Um, there's this sort of big one she does where she's she wants to, like, set up a surprise party to, like, happen on, like, a, a night where she... where. Um, Claire like sort of blows up on her husband and it's just all these like little maniacal things um, that are just so oh it's just it's such a such a weird dance to watch yeah she like maneuvers kind of her her husband Michael to to work with like his ex-girlfriend who's also a friend of like Claire's to plan this party knowing to like make him jealous and his like ex girlfriend is Julianne Moore, and who eventually dies in a greenhouse as things like <laughs> yeah. escalate. Yeah. Um, it's like a, it's like a green. I was like yeah. so. Con- I thought she was just. Um, so there's like a point where uh, where Mrs. Mott like sets up the greenhouse, so, like the doors are like the top things open. I thought it was just because it was stormy and it was gonna ruin all the plants. Um, <laughs> you can't think that this was actually your plan to just. No, I, I realized that after the fact. But when she was setting it up, I was like, well, I, I guess, like, I guess the plants are going to be ruined, and I guess that'll stress her out, and like she'll have like a panic like, attack or something. Like pretty lame plan. <laughs> exactly. This is not just. Yeah, like, um, yeah, because yeah, and uh, oh man, I really wish that uh, Julianne Moore was in this movie, Julianne Moore. Um, instead of Julianne less, um, <laughs> cause like there is like a scene where I was like super excited. Um, cause like the only way, you know, the only way to counteract a quote unquote, um, psycho bitch is with a certified girl boss, which she was. Um, but she, uh, she just gets snuffed out with the, the really horrifying, like glass ceiling shattering trap. Um, <laughs> that just like oh man like and the crazy because she figures it out before julianne moore's character figures out the deception before anybody because of the blasted wind chimes um that are just (laughs) such a clear it's so obvious of course um that these well i mean ernie (laughs) hudson's character kind of figures it out but he's also sort of like Kind of taken off the board pretty early Oh, yeah, for... yeah, absolutely. Like, he, yeah. he definitely does, too. But, like, I I don't know, but did you, like, the I don't know. Because, like, the way that she finds out, and then later Claire finds out, is, I guess Claire actually goes to the actual, um, the old house of Miss Mott that they're selling. Um, and there's sort of two tip-offs. Um, one is the aforementioned wind chimes that I'm assuming showed up earlier in the movie, but I don't remember. 
Um, and then she notices that the, the, the baby's bedroom is painted exactly like how she just painted her baby's bedroom. Um, and those two things are essentially evidence enough to send someone to jail forever. Um, and then there's just sort of, I, I do think that the last final confrontation, it's like, it's all okay. It's a little, it's a little lame. Um, considering that I feel like this movie's biggest strengths was like these subtle little mind games. Um, and not really like the big, like, like big fights with sticks um yeah when she's like running around the house chasing the kid around it loses a bit of urgency but like i i do like the bit where like the the kid is able to like outsmart her and lock her in the nursery for like a minute yeah yeah it's it's really really neat yeah i yeah i definitely um and it's like it's still like triumphant and it's still like it feels like it it has it leaves like with a good feeling in your tummy um of like the ending and like all the good guys won um yeah yeah ernie hudson's welcome back um we can talk about that and where he plays this guy solomon who i think i read in where like wikipedia describes him as mentally disabled handyman so i'm like oh no yeah definitely (laughs) when they introduced him i was like oh geez this could um is this going to be uh uh what's that what's that one movie what's the one spike lee movie um oh it was like the italians there's like a really offensive <laughs> caricature in that movie that it totally takes yeah, you I, out. Um, uh, I don't, I don't remember. I'm like uh, a modern, modern example I can think of is like Forrest Gump, where yeah. I, I know some people like that film, but like his Tom Hanks performance, I'm like, it just makes me mad all the time. But <laughs> honestly, this one like wound up being pretty measured yeah. considering how it's like introduced. It's, it like. And you and you feel bad for him when like she yells at him and then f- essentially frames uh, frames him for like yeah uh, uh, again like fr- frames him to look gives a suggestion that he might be like taking advantage of her like young young daughter yeah, there oh, and like heart this, like she is she is a super villain for doing that um, like yeah well, that, that's the moment where I'm kind of like turning against her. And then there's also a bit that implies that maybe she didn't know what her husband was doing and was, like, on his side. Like, it's... She just says something where she's like, you couldn't have just kept quiet or something. Yeah, like, it's 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 one of those things where, like, you know what? For 1992, um, I feel like this... For, like, a 1992, I would say, like, not super, um, like, complex movie. The villain's got, like, a decent motivation um, not like, oh, if I was in that situation, this is how I would act. But at least, like, there's, like, a through line. Um, and it's not just, oh, I'm, I'm bad because I'm bad. Um, there's, like, a really, there's, like, a really good connection between, like, um, between, like, uh, protagonist and antagonist here. Um, that, even though I really liked, like, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, the connection between those two is, like, pretty tenuous. It's pretty much just, like... Like, I want to be, I think it's like, I want to be king, but you're stopping me from being, like, royalty or whatever, or duke or whatever he wanted to be. Yeah. Um, I mean, he also frames Robin Hood's father as a devil worshiper. But... <laughs> uh, yeah. Kills him and hangs him and, like, the... Oh, he puts him in, yeah, those weird oh, cages. Just... I've only ever seen those cages um, outside of movies, I've, or I guess, like, I don't, I know those cages mostly from being, like, 
elevators in like gothic video games um that's what i mainly know those from <laughs> it seems like it's a lot of work to hang someone up um to build like a human shaped little cage around them <laughs> yeah i'll also say this was on i think maybe one of my first exposures to like rebecca de mornay as an actress and i finished this and immediately like oh oh i guess I, oh no i seen like backdraft before but i remembered i finished this and then Disney Plus handily was recommending, I think, the film she did did after this, Guilty as Sin, where she's, like, the protagonist. I'm like, yeah, I want more of her. Like, she is really compelling. And then, and then I watched, like, a legal thriller where she's, yeah, where she has defending this guy who turns out to be, like, a murderer who's obsessed with her. Like, it's... Oh, do you know? Uh, definitely, definitely worth a look through the, uh, the filmography. Yeah. But yeah, um yeah, it's like there's not really a you, we sort of talk about the plot in Villain of Intent, but there's not really like a good separation like there was with Kisses. Um yeah, is there any yeah. oh, sorry, go on. Which you think helps keep it a bit more focused. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Haven't found a void ring of space jam too yet. <laughs> well we it's probably good sign. We will figure it out though. Uh we promise you that. There's one <laughs> gonna be one Space Jam two reference per season um guaranteed or your or your podcast back um but yeah no i was um i was pleasantly surprised by this movie i didn't know what to what to think of it when it when it um when i started it up like i had genuinely no idea and i ended up like i ended up enjoying myself quite a bit i think it's like a really decent um it's really i think this was a really good winner for this year i'm not sure if it's at the top of mind quite yet I mean, I think there's some that I put as ties that I'm going to have to, like, talk through. Um, but no, like, I, I feel like sometimes, like, especially uh, last season, we got a few movies that, like, there was a kiss in them, but it wasn't really, the movie's not really about the kiss. And I feel like this is a good movie where the villain is pretty much, the pro- like, the the main character, I would say. Like, you're following her story. Yeah. And yeah, we can only talk about Ty since, of course, best villain is unique in MTV Movie Awards history as being the one category where there is a tie yeah. at one point. So arguably, we can allow that yeah. since they themselves set that precedent. <laughs> That's, it's so weird that it only happened once in one category. It feels like there are so many other times. Um, yeah, and also, like, I don't know. Um, maybe it's just me. But I feel like they probably should have replaced the Cape Fear kiss with the Robin Hood kiss. Because it's short and it's cute. Um, I feel like that would have been better. Um, do you have anything more to say about Hen the Rocks the Cradle? Uh, no. Uh, no, not really. Uh, I, think, I think they've said, said a lot. Really good movie. And now we can move on to Cape Fear, yeah. a film that... We didn't talk about it a ton last time, partly because it was, like, our first episode, and I think we talked about, like, five to seven minutes for each of the movies, and this one also, the kiss, we had disqualified it immediately. <laughs> yeah, but, um, um, yeah, this is a much better um, villain movie than it is... Category for Yeah, it. this is a much better villain watch than it is a kiss watch. I, I, I rewatched it. Um, I rewatched it a little passively. Like, it was, like, second monitor stuff. Um, but, like, yeah, this movie is... <laughs> is so much more fun to watch when you're not 
when you don't have like the kiss mindset because um, it's just really uncomfortable um, but with the villain mindset yeah this is like a really good one um i think this one this one this one in hand the rocks of the cradle i think kind of parallel each other a little bit where i feel like the um i feel like sort of the slow mind games are a little weaker in this one but the big like finale is much stronger yeah and also like the the protagonist family is so much less functional um in this one and like they're also like not great people um which like it gives the villain a little more ammunition um i think if rebecca um if rebecca de Morin, uh was up against this family i think she would have come out on top um they're much less of a unit than the hand the rocks the cradle family yeah i, I mean julia lewis probably would have been a bit more skeptical of her but or maybe she'd be too busy smoking weed to care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll say another thing about Kate Fear, and we definitely brought this up last time, is this is kind of funny that, like, the big, the big, like, revenge motivator is that, yeah, Nick, again, for people who don't remember or have never see, seen this, um, Robert De Niro plays Ma- Max Caddy, who, like, and yeah, who is this guy who was tried for statuary rape and battery of a 16-year-old girl um, and defended by Nick Nolte's character, Sam Bowden, who is this, this lawyer and was so appalled by what he did that he b- buried evidence of, yeah, the victim's, like, kind of promiscuity, um, to use kind of that outdated sort of 90s way of thinking and also, I think they maybe established that Robert De Niro wasn't aware where she was 16, which maybe is a bit more of a thing, but it, but it is a th- thing where, like, they're saying his big crime is he made it so the jury wasn't like, wow, th- this victim really gets around, huh? Just... <laughs> yeah, which, to be fair, for the time, might have made or broken the case. Um... <laughs> yeah, it, it's more like... It's more an indictment of how, like, broken the justice system was in the 90s, and arguably today still. I mean, not <laughs> arguably. Definitely, like, today as as well. Um, then, then, like, then something that's, like, a real character flaw of Nick Nolte. But... Yeah. Um, yeah, like, but, uh, yeah, they're also, like, really, um, they feel a little more, uh, I'm trying to think, I don't want to say... They're more realistic than like the family from the hand that rocks the cradle. I feel like they're they're much more negative, um, like a hundred percent. Like even like if you, I think like yeah, what he's doing is like it's it's very like it's 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 about as it's kind of like business suit vigilantism. It's like bureaucratic vigilantism, um, uh, kind of like taking the law into his own hands. So like it's it's one of those things where like it's it's a little it's much harder to sympathize for this villain um like given like what his big revenge motivator is oh yeah it's yeah like you really can't feel bad for robert de niro where like rebecca de mornay up until the point where she's like berating ernie hudson and framing him for that stuff you, you do kind of like get her perspective like a a little bit um yeah also 
Interestingly enough, this film, which was directed by Martin Scorsese, was originally developed by Steven Spielberg, who eventually decided it was too violent and traded it back to Scorsese so he could get the rights for Schindler's List. Oh. Which he won, like, the Oscar for. Oh, jeez. Um, but, but apparently when Spielberg was developing it, his idea for who should play, like, kind of Max the villain was Bill Murray, which <laughs> I think would have been a wildly <laughs> different character. That would have been a much more... That would have been a much different uh, cultural touchstone, I guess. <laughs> well, I'm sure it still would have been good. Yeah. Bill Murray has, like, the shots, yeah. but, like, De Niro just brings, like, a certain air of menace to everything he does. Oh, yeah, so yeah, that was something I think that was um, sprinkled throughout almost all of my notes, is that um, Robert Downey, or was it not Robert Downey, <laughs> Robert De Niro, um, his, like, character... He feels like he's in every... He, his presence is felt in every scene. Even scenes he's not even nearby. Um, he, like, he brings such a... Uh, like, such a menacing demeanor to, like, the whole movie. Um, and he's also... Much like... Um, much like Mrs. Mott. They both sort of, like, play off of, like, the, like... It, it's essentially the adult version of, like like spinning your finger in front of someone's face and going i'm not touching you i'm not touching you but in terms of like the law um which i think i think robert de niro's character plays on a little bit more where like he seems like very savvy in like um he's like he knows what's within his rights pretty much yeah it's yeah like robert de niro knows exactly kind of what he can do to to sort of get away from it Oh yeah, because that's part of the thing with his character is he spent like fourteen years in prison, and during that time, because because uh, I think the idea was he was like illiterate when he went to pr- to prison, and so kind of he's like, well, he's never gonna figure out what I actually like did here, but he uses his time in prison to like read and study the law, and then winds up success and trying to like appeal his his conviction so he has like a so he wants to be like really intelligent and kind of uses all of that towards the idea of revenge which i think as you said makes him like a really like terrifying prison or a villain yeah yeah no exactly um and like yeah and as it's like and like the mind games he plays are a little they feel a little less like methodical and thoughtful and more like reactionary than um than like the previous movie um but like his sort of his when he but he is shown that like when he is confronted like there's like those three guys that try to beat him up and he just he just whoops them um and then like the final like boat where it just takes it takes every ounce of strength from like the three protagonists to like finally do him in um and it's just it is he is he is a menace. He's a, a just a genuine threat. Um and like and yet defeated by the sea. Exactly, yeah. Um I feel like I wrote down what every character ends up getting beat by. Um because <laughs> I, I kind of I think something I want to do um at the very, very end is sort of create try to figure out who is the most powerful villain um based on like what defeated them. And use like use like a like sort of a 
uh, a round robin style analysis to figure out who could have beaten who. Um, but yeah, um, I have. Yeah, because Mrs. Ma gets like beaten by a well placed. Yeah. Fence. Also, I guess a fall. And all, but really, it's and also like, n- being impaled, being that kills careless her. with your wind chimes. I feel like was her ultimate demise. Um. <laughs> <laughs> So you're going to give the wind chimes the victory there? <laughs> I mean, without it, would she have ever even been caught? I feel like without the wind chimes, um, Claire would have gone into the greenhouse. It would have looked like a huge accident. And she would have just slowly, she would have comforted the husband at the funeral. You know, she looks great in black. And yet you can't explain what the wind chimes actually revealed. <laughs> just thought they were important. <laughs> I've... The, I, that must be what it was, though. That is what Julianne Moore saw. That sort of set in motion, like the... Because without that, like, Miss Mott was sort of getting rid of anyone that knew anything. Um, like, she already, like, sue a lot of, like, distrust between... Um, would it, be, it would be uh, Claire and Michael. She got Solomon completely out of the picture. The wind chimes is what did it, I swear. Oh yeah, okay. Looking now on the... Alright, this film is now owned by Disney, and it rocks the the cradle, and it does say the wind chime thing was... Yeah. It says, meanwhile, Marlene has become very suspicious of Peyton. A realtor by trade, Marlene comes across Dr. Mott's house, and then notices in the listing that there are wind chimes located outside the nursery, distinctly remembering a similar gift that she gave Claire for Joey's nursery. (laughs) So it's literally what you said, where it's just something innocuous that reminded her. Oh, right. Yeah, it's it's it was it was her one fatal flaw um, in an otherwise almost perfect plan. Um, you know. Yeah, and and Kate Fear, his one fatal flaw is he fought too close to like the time. It was water, so. you know. It's oh man, yeah, yeah. I'll say the kiss definitely works better when you're considering it in a villain context. <laughs> considering it is supposed to be just a villainous act of here's evil preying on like the the innocent teen. Yeah, like, exactly. Like and smoking weed. Like if you weren't going to hell before. Yeah, like it is. It, it is. It's weird to say, but that that scene in like this movie is way more fun to watch through this lens. Um, and yeah, like he is a, he's re- he's a real bastard. Um, <laughs> he is a what this he is what this um, uh, what this uh, list will eventually call itself briefly for one year. He is an on-screen dirtbag um, of the of uh, of high caliber. Yeah, um, yeah. Do you have anything else to say about uh, Cape Fear? Um, it's our second time going to the movie, so. Yeah, uh, again, there's not, not that much to to say. Say it, it is fun kind of revisiting it and getting to talk to him more about, oh yeah, this is really good, but we have to disqualify it, unfortunately. And <laughs> I'll say it is impressive how effective this movie is, despite my like great familiarity with the Simpsons episode, which is just <laughs> a beat-to-beat parody of many of the scenes, like the movie theater sequence. And... Yeah. Oh, man. But yeah, um, to segue it, um, Terminator 2 
I now understand that reference in that one Simpsons episode where Homer really gets infatuated with Flanders and chases after them with golf clubs. Um, that is a reference that I now understand because of Terminator 2, um, where he sort of hooks both the golf clubs into the back of the car and sort of just sliding on the ground behind them as they're trying to get away. Yeah, that is a good bit. Um, yeah, so ter- so Terminator 2, a classic film. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned there's no twist villains because apparently, or one of the things like I kind of know about Terminator 2 is... And if you watch the film, it's definitely set up with this, where you don't learn which of the people from the future is the bad guy until pretty, like, close to, like, 40 minutes to an hour in. Or oh, yeah. Maybe it's closer to, like, half an hour mark. But it's definitely set up where you're supposed to assume that it's, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger again. But then all the trailers are, like... And now, this time, they're going to get a little help. And it's like <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger, like, saying also la vista, baby, or whatever. And just, like, or, oh, pro- uh, no, he probably just said, come with me if you want to live. Yeah. <laughs> Another line, I think, is in the first one, but said said by, like, kind of John Connor's dad dad or whatever, but. Yeah, yeah, I guess I guess you are super right. I, I, I go into this framework, like, I went into this movie knowing, like, pretty much all the beats about it um yeah but i guess i guess if you had just seen the first one and saw no trailers it, why would you not assume that the guy who like just teleported there naked stole a bunch of stuff and was chasing after this kid like wasn't the bad guy um <laughs> yeah of course the good guy would be the one who who identifies with the cops <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh, yeah um and I feel like I, I I might try and do this depending on how difficult it is, but I wanted to make like different like sort of subclasses of like villains because um, I feel like they're like different kinds. I feel like the first two we have are sort of like conniving slow boil uh, villains. And I think this one is like this is what I would like to call just like a bullet villain. Like he has one target and he's heading towards it. He doesn't have like he's not really like a character he is just like an obstacle um and i feel like that sets you at like a huge disadvantage um but i think this movie like ends up working with that really well and like making it pretty fun by giving him like a really neat gimmick like the uh like him being like a goop man yeah one of the things about when people don't like love or terminator films as much is they never really figure out how to top liquid metal terminator as like villain gimmick yeah it's they try different things but it's there's just something to the simplicity of this and the way like when he gets pushed into a thing and then he just shapeshifts so his back is now his front yeah like Like, that's super cool and like when he gets like um when he gets like shot in the head and it like splails out like tinfoil it just looks super cool um and like I don't know. I think I, the goop scenes don't look real or like quote unquote like good, but like they're funny. I like them. You're telling me the '90s have limited <laughs> special effects. I mean, I think they did a good job. Something I took note of almost every time is that whenever he like running and then it transitions from like him being goop to him being a person, those transitions are always like really smooth. I assume because they filmed him running and then animated on top of it. I'm assuming that's what they did. But I noticed that those always looked like really clean. I don't know. I don't know why, but those always did look really nice. Oh, yeah. No, like, 
James Cameron knows his his stuff. Also, it is a good bit where, like, he's walking through the bars, but he forgets his gun isn't part of him, and, like, he has to maneuver it around. Yeah. It's just a good yeah. little time, like I said, does not need to be in there, but, like, it adds to that It scene. adds a little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, like, it is, it is kind of neat to have, like, a... Because um, I feel like, in, on one hand, I feel like you lose a lot from having a villain that like it doesn't really speak and it doesn't really have like a i would say i'm gonna say it doesn't really have like a motivation um but you um one second i'm just gonna make it so that i don't have to edit around that big bump i just did um but you make it so that he can be like probably one of the biggest threats on this list um because he just doesn't care who he kills like who gets in the way he's gonna just like do his little finger knife thing and get rid of them like he has no moral quandaries about anything yeah he is literally just like a killing machine and it does it does make for like if not the most like dynamic villain in the world it does make for like a very imposing threat where even though like watching this film that i have definitely seen like a, a couple times and love a lot where it's still oh right like this guy does seem like almost unbeatable until they finally manage to like beat him yeah exactly it's almost um it's almost sort of kind of like that the the monster from it follows a little bit um where it's just it is just something that is almost it feels indestructible and it's just it is just constantly maybe slowly but it is moving towards you um you know you know, they call it It Follows, but it actually preceded It by a few years. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think I watched It at camp. Um, I, I am forever going to be um, mentally confused um by the fact that like it and like stranger things came out so close together um because they both have like yeah and they both have like kind of they have similar ish vibes of like of like nostalgia ish um and like yeah they're both like kind of yeah (laughs) and it like i feel like they're just like there's there's just gonna be such because i'm probably gonna it is it later on our list of villains yeah yes. and then also stranger things um and it's, it's unlike kiss i'm probably actually gonna have to like watch these shows uh to completion or at least the relevant season to the year um but yeah no i i feel like that's gonna be there's gonna be i feel like i'm gonna be misremembering and mishmashing things by accident <laughs> yeah hey look at that we found a found a way to a tangent <laughs> exactly the great, the greatest villain of all is a lack of focus. But, but yeah, so Robert Patrick, who like plays the T one thousand, I think is just really good at being like a sinister presence. Like he he says a bit, but it's always just more effective when he is just glaring and kind of walking to his targets. Like, kind of like yeah. that's always more effective than like the kind of talking scenes. Except for that one where he's, like, literally, like, on the phone imitating a voice. And then you see, like, his hand is, like, gone. And it's just... And there's just, like, a d- dead, like... Like, he's killed John's foster mother or whatever. And he, like... Yeah, 
while he's like on the phone i think impersonating her it just yeah yeah and i think um robert uh patrick definitely does a really good job of like his face and like his expressions always look like super um almost alien um in like their sort of like neutrality um like just he, i think just i don't know if that's just the way his face looks um but like i don't it was just whatever whether it was intentional or not it added a lot i'll say yeah i'm watching him he he's on peacemaker right now which is the spin-off series to like the suicide squad focused on uh, john cena's I really character want to watch that <laughs> yeah. it's really good and he plays like his dad who is because the idea idea with like peacemaker is like it's all these characters are like kind of like like you know kind of gets into peacemaker's vulnerabilities and you're like oh yeah he, he's sad you kind of like feel for the guy and but robert patrick's just playing like the most irredeemable like full-on like just racist like dude racist abusive like asshole dude and he's just really there to be like the mean old man and it's like a really good performance where like which i had watched i think a couple weeks after seeing this one i'm like oh wow like one like he looks a lot older than he did in like the 90s and like he is he can be good in in roles where like he does more talking though though peacemaker also just has a lot of scenes of him just kind of glowering about stuff (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) yeah i guess uh do you have any do you have any notes about like the movie as a whole um i guess outside of the villain um yeah it's i'm always surprised how much because I'm not going to say Edward Furlong is giving a great performance. It's like young John Connor, but his like, but his scenes with Schwarzenegger are very charming. Like when he's teaching him yeah. slang. <laughs> yeah. And he works as someone who just seems like a regular kid who has like the unfortunate thing of his mom seeming just crazy to him until he learned she was right, which I think he plays well. <laughs> yeah. And like, I don't know. Um, I, I it's been so long since I've seen the first one, um, but I, I but I do remember like some beats. I really like how they they sort of like what they do with like the like kind of like the Sarah Connor character in this one, where like she's just in an institution because yeah, it all kind of does sound a little crazy. Um, yeah, like the first film, she's like a regular person, and then this one, she's immediately like she's battle hardened, she's paranoid. It's well, it's all this kind of like stuff from the first film that has just sort of become her whole life since we've last seen. Yeah, because she saw something genuinely insane. And then, kind of one of the failings of the sequels is like Linda Hamilton. After this one, like she does not return for three. Cameron doesn't come back, so they kind of have her character sort of die off camera. And it's like two films that just don't have Sarah Connor and don't really work. And then one film that is sort of a reboot because eventually they're like oh wait we're just terminator we can like do time travel stuff where the terminator can go back ready to kill her but she's already been trained by another terminator or something something in uh, i don't know i never saw genesis (laughs) but surprise surprise dark fate works because it brings back linda hamilton to be like sarah connor yeah (laughs) also it works since arnold schwarzenegger in that one is playing a terminator who been there so long they've taken the alias of carl and he has like a decorating shop like he 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 goes on a monologue about curtains at one point (laughs) where he's just talking about curtains while something's happening it's really good (laughs) oh that's awesome 
Oh man, yeah, I I need to give the Terminator franchise a a good a good watching through. But yeah, no, um, yeah, yeah, like there's there's not a there's not a super lot to talk about this villain because kind of like we said, there's not really like a a motivation or like a plotting. It's just like a bunch of cool set pieces where he's just a like a just a moving bullet, a threat, you know? Yeah, uh, the the scene is. A bit part from Joe Morton, who kind of going on to the thing of Shonda Rhyme shows eventually is on, has a major role on Scandal as Kerry Washington's dad, who initially is like this cool, like kind of villainous character of a secret society who gives these cool monologues. And then the show just falls in love with him too much and gives, and the monologues just get crazier and he's enunciating all this stuff. But stuff and it kind of they kind of drive into the ground but he's like really effective here as the guy who's going to maybe make skynet one yeah, day he's also in bounce apparently too um <laughs> yeah he's like he's like the boss oh, yeah. in bounce. <laughs> yeah and also just as this regular person that like linda hamilton is ready to murder before yeah. like, she's <laughs> it is oh man um yeah no 100 yeah uh, and like yeah there's so much iconic stuff from this movie that like I, I kind of want to go back and watch the first one because like everything that I know about Terminator I think is from like pretty much from this movie if not like if it's from the first one it's also referenced in this movie like the I'll be back um, the come with me if you want to live him like cutting open his arm and like ripping it to like show his like little like skeleton uh, like a little exoskeleton um yeah, like I, I, I'm, I am super. This movie got me super intrigued with the, the termoverse. Um, but I'll definitely have to give it a a little glance. Also, an interesting little tidbit here is, the movie cost about a hundred and two million dollars to make, which was like I think one of the most expensive films made yet at the time, and. In contrast, the budget of the original Terminator is was six point four million dollars. So, literally, <laughs> this film cost almost a hundred million dollars yeah. more. Uh, yeah, no, and like some of the some of the set pieces in this movie are just really fun. Um, like the big like tanker explosion that, that was sort of like sliding. It's it's just really great. Yeah. yeah. And then eventually, the only way to like stop the T one thousand is just molten steel. Yeah, like listen, if you're out there and you need to stop a villain, um, lava, the sea, wind chimes. Like this podcast will be so informative on on how to stop your villain. Um. <laughs> yeah, go to your local abandoned steel mill. Um. <laughs> You know, people, there's not enough honest jobs anymore, so you're probably going to find, have an easy time finding a good steel mill. <laughs> With a big just open unmanned. vat of molten lava. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah. Do you have anything else to say about uh, Terminator 2 or the Terminator franchise? Yeah, no, not much. We can pretty much say hasta la vista, baby. Just another thing with the sequels is this one ends with, like, Terminator literally sacrifices himself so, like, they can't do a Skynet. And then, the mistake with, like, 3 is 
somehow, like, there's some kind of Skynet system that's gonna, like, come on line anyways, and, like, kind of the next three films are like, well, Skynet is inevitable, and then Dark Fate is like, oh, wait, we can just have a different AI that's not called Skynet, because, like, the specific Skynet thing doesn't have to be inevitable, but, like, of course at some point people are just gonna make an artificial intelligence and, like, might revolt similarly. (laughs) Uh, But I, yeah, I think I have a perfect way to uh, end out this segment, though. Alright, let's see. I think that's how the Terminator theme goes. Um, <laughs> I'll play. I'll play a version of it in the background and see if it syncs up. Yeah, just watch it not sync up at all, and you go, "Wow, that was way off." Huh. But yeah, now we can get into Robin Hood: Prince of Thieves, a film that I was I was not expecting to start off in Jerusalem. Yeah. I was also like, I was like, did I? get the right movie um because i was definitely like i like my my history is really bad and i didn't know that like these two like time periods that happened at like the same time um but yeah like it is yeah like while while that was happening in jerusalem i guess there was like kings and queens happening elsewhere um (laughs) It's a, it's quite literally a big world. Um, yeah, no, like the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, um, uh, starring sort of like the main leads of, um, I think Kevin Coster and like Morgan Freeman is like, I think he's like set up as like the sort of like the second hand person, but I feel like as the movie goes on, he gets like less and less attention as more characters are introduced. Yeah, Christian Slater kind of, like, comes in for a lot of attention. I feel more, yeah, Morgan Freeman's definitely less prominent, but he still gets the big and, like, cool beats. Yeah, he, d- he does definitely. Yeah, I would honestly, like, I don't know about you, but the Christian Slater stuff just, I don't know, I didn't really care for it. Um, uh, I, it was just... I, th- I thought his monologue is, like, really good, but also coming to comes up in, like, nowhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah, like, like he's... Like, like it, he's giving a really, like, broad performance, and... I like this movie a lot. One of the things in it is Kevin Costner just does not do an accent. And Christian Slater goes the other way with it, where he like, has a crazy accent. Yeah. And then suddenly he launches into this powerful monologue partway through about how he's like Robin Hood's half-brother. Yeah, and like, uh, the problem with that scene is that scene is immediately after him, like, going to Alan Rickman's, like, the sheriff of Nottingham and going, like, Yes, I'll I'll betray them and I'll lie to do it and I'll I'll be on your side, and I so I just thought he was lying, um, and I was waiting for like the big betrayal that it just never came. Like Christian Slater had the had the weirdest time to have a change of heart, um, right after saying he was gonna do the biggest betrayal ever, um, yeah, but um, yeah to to. This, I would say, if the first two were sort of, like, conniving, and then this the third, the Terminator one, was, like, a, like, a constant pressing, like, threat, um, I would say this one villain is more like a 
my lackeys kind of do everything sort of villain um like he he is like he's like he's he's slimy and he's like he's he's a little bit of a skis ball and he was literally raised by a witch um but like a lot of like the bad stuff is usually done by like his henchmen um he doesn't really do personally a lot of like villainous stuff um other than and i made a note of this he does plan to cancel christmas um and that's pretty bad <laughs> yeah no, the war on christmas started <laughs> early this year um, it's older than you think um, uh. <laughs> yeah it's i'll say alan alan rickman definitely uh, is having the time of his life here and he really helps like live liven up the film but yeah it's not doing a lot of stuff directly but it's certainly like a bad dude and who kind of wants to take over and is kind of worshipping the devil. <laughs> While framing other people for worshipping the devil. That's... Yeah. But, not, yeah, but not in like the cool way. Like, <laughs> not in the cool Satanist or misunderstood <laughs> way. Just like in literally just dark Yeah, arts. like literal and... witches, literal prophecies, literal curses and hexes. Um... <laughs> Uh, like, yeah. a, but like the most important thing is that he also, he also frames Robin Hood's dad for Satanism and like being a Satanist is one thing, but being a hypocrite, now that's another. Um, but yeah, th- this was a movie like, I wasn't expecting it. Like really all I knew of this film is the, the song, everything I do, I do for, do it for you is, yeah, was, was from it. So I think I was assuming it was a bit more of a like classical Robin Hood thing, and although I was vaguely aware that kind of modern versions of the film that are more serious have it where, oh, he was a s- soldier, he had this, and then maybe the Crusades were involved, like, and kind of, I did look it up, because I'm like, oh, did Robin Hood fight in the Crusades? And it seems like that is kind of a bit of character backstory for people who are just looking at that time period and what was going going on so it's a bit a a bit of a more modern trait where they're like oh yeah he fought in the crusades and when this one starts in like jerusalem i'm like oh is this like dark and edgy robin hood in the 90s but then it winds up just splitting the difference between being kind of sort of kind of the dark and edgy gritty like robin hood stuff and then just being like classical robin hood antics where they're like catapulting themselves like over walls yeah i feel like they don't they don't steal anything, nevertheless give it to the poor till like an hour and a bit into the movie. Which is like the yeah, one well, thing he, I know Robin Hood for. He has to win the bandits' trust. He has to win the bandits' trust yeah. first. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, and it does strike, like, it strikes a balance, I think, re- really, like, really well. For, well, I think of being a film that, like, is kind of, strikes a balance between kind of being kind of serious and then sort of just campy fun um and well, well like rickman's a big part yeah. of that no this is like the first movie in a while that just that um i've watched because we've gotten with our kisses we got it more and more modern as it goes this was just sort of like a feel-good movie that had a, just a bunch of like like every character got their like their big triumphant moment like the like the drunk um holy man got like his his like little uh 
his little moment with like the corrupt holy man and like every character gets like their little like big heroic like feel good moment um it's just i don't know it's yeah it's just been like it's just it was just a good like good feeling in like the pit of your stomach kind of movie Oh yeah, fr- the Friar Tuck scene where like he catches the guy and then just gives him additional gold and has some cool line before, uh, yeah, before defenestrating him, which I learned is a fancy way for throwing someone out of a window. Um, <laughs> I don't know why we need a cool word for like that. Cause... Oh, you don't know? Well, I hope you're not near any windows. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like defenestration was just a word I seen around. So, I I assume I assume like there, there's like a lot of words that like typically just go like doing various stuff to like bodies or saying stuff on fire, like e- yeah, like immolation or stuff like that. So it never occurred to me that Dennis that one of them was just throwing someone out a window. Like it's yeah, I I thought it was I thought it was something like from like the church. Um... I didn't know it was like actually that. That's a neat little thing to learn. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. To 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 bring it back around to to sort of um, Alan, uh, he it's there's not a lot of interaction directly yeah between like the the protagonist and the antagonist. Not to like sort of the end with like a a little kind of short sword fight, um, but a lot of it is like kind of cutting between the two, and I feel like. Um, I feel like uh, Alan Rickman like gets pretty. Uh, I want. I don't know if it's fifty fifty exactly, but at the very least, it'd be like, like one to one third to two thirds, like screen time of it, like cutting back to him and like him just sort of just like being villainy and like being like upset about everything and like sending troops and like um, Alan Rickman's voice like lends itself really good to like sort of a sort of like slimy sinister character. Um, like he plays it really well. Yeah, like, he, he, I think, is a big part of why this movie works, even if, like, Robin Hood just sounds like an American dude, and Morgan Freeman playing a Muslim character is maybe not something that would happen today. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just Also, just calling him Christian a lot, despite the fact that in England, I think that could apply to most people, <laughs> where he's like, like, oh, you do you, Christian. Just, <laughs> yeah. I but yeah, but Alan Rickman, every time he's on screen, it's just a delight. Yeah, he, he's just like, he's just so, he's so like kind of fussy and like, uh, it's, it's super, it's super fun. I wish, I wish he got a little bit more time to like interact directly with Robin Hood um, or like the, like the gang. Uh, I feel like there could have been like a lot of good stuff there. Um, but maybe that's sort of like not what his character is. Cause once they do actually like confront, confront him, like. The final sword fight doesn't seem like it's, like, that hard. Um, like, it's over pretty quickly between him and, like, Robin Hood. Um, given it's it was this big sort of, like, prepared thing by by um, his sort of, uh, his sort of gang of thieves. Um, yeah, no, it's just a, a delightful little performance. Yeah, and I'll say, one of the, one of the, like, kind of, big differences this one makes from the traditional Robin Hood story is it sort of rolls the two villains of Robin Hood um 
the sheriff in Nottingham, and then Prince John into just one character, like, just the sheriff in Nottingham, which I think kind of works, because, you know, it's already an epic version of the story. It's almost two and a half hours long. There's a lot going on there, but it does make you wonder where maybe there should have just been kind of a separate, like, Prince John character, if only so Ellen Rickman could be interacting with, like, them more and just kind of being more directly in the thick of it and not just in his castle for most of the movie. Yeah, I feel like there's, like, a lot of stuff he could have, like, yeah, done if he got the chance to, like, be out more. Cause, yeah, because like you said, like, he's just a delight to watch whenever he's on screen. Yeah, and again, he's not lacking for screen time, but you do kind of want to see more of him and Costner or, like, him and Will Scarlet and... Yeah, it does seem like maybe it's a missed opportunity there. Also, um, I don't, I'm trying to think, do you know the name of his, like, his, like, main henchman? I think he kills him, like, halfway through the movie. Um, oh, what's his name? Um, he sort of, the way he speaks was unintelligible at two times speed. Um. Uh, Guy of Gisborne. Yeah, um, yeah, he is, he's the one who does, like, most of, like, the, the horrible stuff, uh, mostly on the movie, at, at the command of the Sheriff of Nottingham. Um, but, I, yeah, I wonder if maybe, I wonder if, because, yeah, I think, yeah, one of the problems is that he's really more of, like, a, like, an armchair general than he is, like, a, a warrior, which, like, definitely adds to, like, his sort of, like, sleazeballness, which I feel like they were definitely trying to lean more towards with his character, and I guess maybe that aspect would be a little weaker if he was, like, riding into, like, confrontations on, like, horse with, like, a, a sword and shield. Yeah, that's probably true. And Guy Gisborne is played by Michael Wincott, a Canadian actor who kind of has his famous sort of deep, raspy voice, which, as you said, maybe made his character a little hard to understand, but definitely, I guess, is a surefire way to make sure you're a classic villain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Having, like, a having a, a scoundrelly henchman. Yeah, and I'll, I'll say, like, the the other one, like, like the witch character, um, yeah, Mordiana is, like, also really good, and I think there's an extended version of the film where you find out that she's actually the sheriff's mother, and she's kind of manipulating him to kind of, like, get, have her own line on the throne, which, you know, yeah. maybe it's something to, like, have in so the movie. a little bit of, like, but, a, uh, like a Shrek 2 twist. Which is funny, because them interrupting a wedding and saving everyone reminded me a little bit of Shrek 1. Um, though, it's possible Shrek <laughs> 1 just ripped that off from this film. Um, but. Oh, who's to, I guess we'll never know. Oh, man. Ah, oh, it, is, it is sad that, um, I apologize. If we ever end up doing a a host choice villain episode, I might end up picking another Shrek movie um, to get the Shrek <laughs> 2 villain on the list. Um. <laughs> no, that, that's fine. You can go, go with that. Well, I was just thinking where I'm like, oh, if we do host choice, I'm, I mean, we, we have a special, a couple like thing, special episodes plan, plan for like throughout the villain run that we'll get to, but oh, now I have to think of it again, because I was thinking of someone who would be, I think, really good for a best villain list, but I do not remembering them here, but yeah, no, definitely you can throw a Shrek villain onto the mix. You did it for kissing. <laughs> exactly. Why not? Like, Keep, it's, it's my it's my character trait. It's my motif. 
Also, when doing a bit of looking up, um, the kind of life debt that Morgan Freeman's character takes, because Ro- cause Robin, like, rescues him in Jerusalem in the film's opening sequence, which, again, it is wild that the, like, opening ten minutes of this movie are set in Jerusalem, yeah. and then they just go back to England yeah. for, like, very totally t- different stuff, but they set it up that it's some kind of, like, cultural thing among, like, the Moors, which is, I'm I'm not sure if we can still say Moors, but it's what, what they were called at, yeah, at the time, and that's probably fine. Um, yeah. But you're gonna get they set it up like it's a cultural thing, and then it is, but when you look it up, it's like, no, that's not like a cultural thing. It's just something he was doing, but they just made it seem like it was part of like his religion, <laughs> yeah. that he had to just <laughs> hang out with him until he saves his life and then promptly leaves. <laughs> yeah, it was just kind of like a weird honor thing he had. Yeah. Yeah, yeah this movie... Um, it does do quite a bit. Um, and it's like, I think it's like the longest movie on our list. It's the longest movie. It might be like the longest movie out of a lot of these, or at least like top 10. Um, weirdly enough. I mean, we cover at least one close to three hour oh, yeah. one in Mesfield. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But yeah. Um, this movie like weirdly doesn't super focus on the romance barely at all. Which is weird, because they have that whole interaction between um, Kevin Costner and Morgan Freeman near the beginning, where it's like it's it's like there are some like people worth dying for, um, and that that line is brought up again at like the end of the movie. Um, it's just like yeah, because it's setting up the song that's gonna play <laughs> that too. Yeah, but I feel like this movie. I, I wouldn't say that this movie, like, wastes its time with anything, because, like, I enjoy all of it. I enjoy, like, the big, uh, the big river fight. Um, I enjoy, like, the, the training montage. Um, yeah, it's, I, I just, uh, this movie, I feel like, I feel like it's, it's a good sign that if your movie does a lot, but it felt like whatever they decided to focus on, I was going to have a good time. Um, so I think it's a good sign that even when I feel like a movie sort of underdelivers in some aspects, I still thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, and it's funny because I feel this is the one where we maybe talked about the villain like the the least, which maybe is a sign where it's like, oh, but yeah, where you know maybe it's not like the the best villain on this list for the purposes, but he is like a very good. Yeah, villain. absolutely. And, he, yeah, he's just um like this is um. Yeah, because, like, it's one of those things where, like, this movie, um, very much, as much as it develop, de- uh, has, like, a lot of street, street time dedicated to it, he's not, like, the main character, um, like, or, like, he was not, like, a, he, he is sort of a, like, um, like, in, like, uh, in, like, in Cape Fear and, like, The Hand of the Rocks the Cradle, the main character is the villain, and in, like, Terminator, um, he is like, he's something that is constantly, um, interacting with the protagonist in some capacity. Whereas in this one, he's sort of like an armchair person that's sort of sending out commands and then sort of doing his own thing. Um, but he is like 100%. He's like, he's a, he's a slime ball. He's like, he's just very like, he's not super menacing. Um, but I think that, I think it works to their favor that he is sort of just this like, he is this person that like needs like witches and lies and and other people to do his job for him. Yeah, 
you know, ultimately they meet him, and then Sean Connery, the king, comes back, <laughs> like, during his wedding to, like, interrupt. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, no, it's just, yeah, that's what I mean, like, this movie's just such a, like, it's very much like, uh, like the other knights, or the other sort of, like, uh, I don't know, is there, like, a name for it? Medieval. I guess medieval's the word I'm looking for. Like, um... You forgot the word medieval? <laughs> I did. Well, because I'm thinking of, like, um, A Knight's Tale and stuff like that. Um, just like, just like very, like, it's just a fun little adventure, uh, movie. And like, it's just, it's just, uh, a good, like, group of people. It's very wholesome and just a very nice ending. It's definitely one of the more classical, like, mm. movies we cover this year. Like, especially when you have some morally ambiguous thrillers on the list. Yeah. But at the end, you were saying? Yeah, and in the end, um, it was not fire, water, or wind chimes. It was just a knife. That uh, did our villain in. Um, <laughs> Weak sauce. <laughs> exactly. Just a simple knife, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, I guess uh, the next movie on our list was a movie I had never heard of ever before. And I had a very interesting experience watching um, New Jack City. Um I, hmm, this, I'm about to say something, and I don't think it's a compliment or a dig or, like, an insult. Um, this movie sometimes feels like it's AI-generated um, when, like, things <laughs> happen. It feels like I'm not watching, like, a movie. It feels like I'm flipping through channels and accidentally, like, stumbled on, like, um, like a sketch comedy show where they're, like, parodying, like... Um, like kind of buddy cop drug movies. Um, and I don't even know if that's necessarily like a bad thing. Like I had a really good time with this movie, but like, it definitely feels like the way they bounce between things. Um, like I, it's, and just how, like it feels, this feels like three episodes of a TV show and not a movie at times. Um, if any of that makes sense. Those are just the feelings I got while watching it. Um, what was your impression of the movie? Um, yeah, no, uh, I enjoyed this film a lot. Um, it is funny that it's this very heightened, like, all over the top film of over the top stuff, but it's also trying to say something pretty serious about the crack epi yeah, epidemic. It has um, like the, it has like, there's like a thing at the end where it says, um, Oh, what's like the exact word? I remember it says, um, what's like the, oh, what's the main villain's name? It's like something, it's like Dino something, N Nino, Nino Brown. It's like, um, the events of this movie are fictional, but need, there are Nino Browns in every city. And like, we need to do something about this. Um, uh, it's just, it's, it is a profoundly fun movie, um, with a, it's got some it's got a good chunk of people doing a good performance um i don't necessarily love ice t's performance um i think there are some things to be desired to there well what did you think i guess uh yeah i enjoyed this film a lot it is it's directed by mario van peebles who is the son of melvin van peebles the guy who directed kind of the the sort of first first sort of big black exploitation 
film Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. And Mario would one day kind of make a movie about his own father where he would play his father. And so, like, he... So it's someone like who I think is kind of influenced by those kind of... That kind of sort of exploitation genre a bit where it's it's larger-than-life characters and it's, like, kind of heightened tone in most of the scenes even as it is trying to say something about, like, society. Yeah, and I'm looking. It's definitely something that works and also I'm not sure how much of this would work without Wesley Snipes. Yeah, he is, like, he is... Like, this is another one where I feel like the villain is, like, running the show. Because um, I feel like the protagonist is, like, a pretty pretty even spread of them. Um, and, like, there is, like, a couple of villains, but, like, he is, like, the front runner. Um, uh, it's something I took note of, like, pretty early on is that, like, he is wearing, like, a new, like, stylish outfit in almost every scene. Um, and it's just, it's really, it's always really eye-catching, and I think that's really important. Oh, yeah. He's definitely the best dressed of all the villains we have. But, but yeah, they put him in, like, a lot of crazy outfits. Um, he gets a lot of, like, heightened dialogue. It's just... Yeah. And... No, he, he is, like, he is a... I feel like he is the per... He, he, on this list, I feel like he's, like, kind of the perfect balance of being, like, a sort of, like, sort of fun bouncy presence but also being like really like like there's like a very like um not not quiet there's a very quick like switch flip to like being very like threatening um like when he like needs to be yeah 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 that's the thing like he he is playing him as a classic thing where like it's not like robert patrick where he's absolutely menacing in every single scene but when he is trying to be a threat he feels like a threat like it. yeah no exactly um yeah he definitely like he kind of he kind of carries this movie um because yeah because like um i don't know i guess uh I, I i like this movie and there's like a lot to enjoy i really um i really did i i here's the thing is that i have no experience with um crack so I don't know how good Chris Rock's performance was, um, but it was like pretty fun, um, and I wish I wish he stayed I wish he stayed in throughout the whole movie, um, and they, because like the I think the plot near the end gets a little weird, where like there's this whole I think their initial plan is to, like get Chris Rock clean and then get him to be like the the bug, but then. Ice T just after Chris Rock like dies, um, Ice T just becomes the bug instead, <laughs> or like the infiltrator <laughs> into like the gang, and it's just it's very very strange, but it's also like a pretty fast paced movie. Like things are moving along. Also, it very much becomes like a courtroom drama in the last ten minutes of the film. Yeah, like, and it becomes like. It's where the commentary has kind of the most explicit, like, Nino Brown gets this big monologue where he's, where it's very much just like, I'm not guilty, society's guilty. (laughs) The lawmakers, the politicians, the Colombian (laughs) rush lords. Which is really funny, because that's like not what you should do in court. (laughs) Yeah, 
And then, again, it is like a point, like he's making point, yeah. points, maybe not with crack, crack but obviously um, the criminalization of drugs has led to like a lot of people, predominantly like black people in jail who should not be there, and it is like a system that we're still struggling to handle, and there are like, I think... Like again, I I still think this podcast is generally in the favor like the decriminalization of, of like drugs that you know aren't actively like crack. Hundred percent. But yeah, and for and I mean even then like for that kind of addiction is like something that should be addressed in ways that maybe aren't like prison. But yeah, it is the thing where it's like said by this like villainous character who again is on trial for many things including murder yeah it's just it's it's just it's like it's it's such a it's like a really it's an interesting like philosophical conversation but it's like you probably shouldn't be having it on the stand where it's like you're on the stand for murder and it's like well your honor the socioeconomic condition of of like of the country will just always make people need like make situations where murder is an inevitability. It's just like, you probably shouldn't be having that conversation on the stand. Yeah, he's like, this thing is bigger than me. Like this is the American way. Just... <laughs> like, listen, maybe I did kill all those uh, people, but it's really a drop in the ocean, you know, into the giant problem that's happening. Um, also, at the end of the movie, Nino gets killed, yeah. and then the film promptly ends. Yeah, it does. Like it's... Um, you, have you seen *The Time to Kill*? Uh, yeah, yeah, is yeah. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a time to kill moment right at the end. Oh, oh, I definitely am gonna have like a story when we talk about like a time to kill about the context <laughs> in which I watched that movie. But like, <laughs> but also uh. like, but the last line of the film is because there's this old man character who's just kind of like throughout and then after his trial he's he's given like the sentence of just one year in in jail and then it's very much a thing where like he steps outside and then this old man like shoot, shoots him up before he's he's like ah oh. like the line and i feel like he looks this up but it's like idolater your soul is required in hell and then just shoots him and like, that's the last thing that's said in the movie, and then you kind of get the inner titles at the end telling you sort of, you know, the the moral, but, like... Yeah, it's, um, it's, uh, the actor Bill Cobbs, um, he's sort of, like, an old man that's, like, he's shown up, like, I think, I think it is, like, literally rule of threes, I think it's, like, the third time he's shown up in the movie, um, and, like, every single time he's, like, very, like, upset with what, uh, Wesley Snipes' character is doing. Yeah. Oh, Bill Cobbs is great. Um, just... Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I really, I really do like it. Um, yeah, I really, I really, uh, I wish this movie um, was, I guess it kind of is, but I wish it was just more about Wesley Snipes. Um, yeah, because I, I just, I, I could not, um, on a genuine level, vibe with like the, um, the Ice T and I think the Alan Plain character that was the white guy right yeah yeah the the token white guy alan um, Payne, more like alan plain just exactly i just i couldn't i couldn't vibe with their like weird and antag- slightly antagonistic dynamic um that's that's what i mean when i say parts of this movie felt like they were generate like you fed an ai like 
um, like, okay, here's, can you, can this computer generate like a buddy cop scene interaction? Okay, now do like a, a drug rehab scene. Um, and it just, it felt like really weird and disconnected. Like the parts that felt really cohesive were all like the Wesley Snipes parts. Um, when he's like, when he's like, um, when there's like that tension created with like him and like, I think what it would be like his second hand man. And like the fact that like, he really likes his, his current partner, um, and just all that stuff. But then everything else, I just couldn't, I eventually got used to it. Um, I think ice tea can be quite funny to watch if you write it, watch it in like the right lens. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, by the end, I did enjoy every aspect of this movie, whether genuinely or slightly ironically. Yeah. Um, a quick correction: Alan Payne is definitely not white. You were thinking of Judd Nelson, who was his partner. Oh no! <laughs> I am super sorry, uh, Mister Payne. <laughs> uh, you, are, I guess, you are not uh, Alan Payne. Um, I'm glad I like double checked when you're like he's his partner, right? I'm like, oh, I should. Du- he's the white guy. Like, oh, wait, I should double check that because I'm pretty sure that's wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just um, yeah. This movie, uh, yeah, it's 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 enjoyable, but it definitely definitely fumbles like the um the the cop side of things in like being like really cohesive and like having like really strong character dynamics. Yeah. At least. In my eyes. Well, it's like we say, the villains always seem to have the most fun. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, which, like, Wesley Snipes absolutely does. There's a scene where he, like, near the end where he, almost like a vampire, um, like, kind of, like, from, like, up in the rafters, like, comes down and slits a guy's throat. And it's just insane. Um, it is, it is so campy and fun. Um... Yeah, and there's also, I think there's also a scene where like he sh- he shoots. I think um like one of his henchmen that he he's found out that like has been working against him and is like the reason that Ice T was able to get in, um, which actually is a scene a scene that or a screen cap that I've seen before in a meme. Um, it's essentially Wesley Snipes crying holding the gun, and the meme I know from is a tweet where it's like um. When the race war starts, and I have to, and I gotta kill Tony Hawk, and then the actual Tony Hawk Twitter, I had to verify it was real. Um, the actual Tony Hawk Twitter uh, <laughs> replied with, "I appreciate the hesitation, though," um, and it's just the picture of Wesley Snipes crying holding the gun. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I think that's pretty funny. It's a really good bit. Um, yeah. Also, oh, oh yeah, a little for like actors who are coming up. Um, Bill Nunn, and I think part of the part of the reason why like the criminal side is more interesting is, you know, it's stuff like Wesley Snipes or Snipes Wesley Snipes says like Nino Brown, but like B- Bill Nunn, who's like playing his bodyguard and kind of enforcer's character's name, the Da 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 Man, just and. <laughs> But he later is going to show up in the Spider-Man movies as Robbie Robertson, the voice of reason at the Daily Bugle. Just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah no, also, it's, it's, I. Oh, sorry. Oh, oh no, you can go on before I say that. Yeah, he's also going to be showing up uh, in Blade as well. I'm excited. I I've never I've never gotten a chance to watch the Blade movies. Um, 
and I'm super excited. Yeah, the Blade movies are going to be fun. Also, one of the things about New Jack City is apparently it's been said that, like, it was originally written as an incredibly early draft of The Godfather Part 3. If you should have a protagonist <laughs> I... <laughs> who, like, sold heroin rather than, like, cocaine, and then that just got turned into New Jack City. <laughs> that's, huh, that is interesting. Yeah, um, that's mostly Wikipedia, like, things, and and their source goes to a book. It's not like, I'm not gonna read a book to check this, but... (laughs) But it seems like Wesley Snipes did say something in, like, an interview where he's like, oh, it was an early, early draft. (laughs) Yeah, man. Um, Oh, man. Yeah, this movie is... It's a fun movie. It's also, like... um, the ending's a bit weird, having, like, the shooting take place right after the message of, like, we have to do something. Um, almost like, it's like, hey, man, you need to do some vigilante justice. Um, <laughs> which I, I guess maybe, um, maybe, maybe it was the, the point, or maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? It does seem to be, again, kind of going into the roots of, like, sort of the exploitation genre and that kind of film of like oh taking action though maybe it was supposed to be a bit more satirical <laughs> yeah yeah i'm assuming that's like that's the thing it's just it's, yeah it's just uh funny having those two things next to each other um also just like a neat ending shot with like him like uh <laughs> yeah him like that um i'm trying to think i'm yeah i'm pretty sure i want i because like this is uh, something that I don't know how unique it's going to be to every year, but I wonder, um, I assume later on, we hopefully are going to get some villains that just don't just die at the end. Um, I mean, not to spoil it, but like... I think T-Rex in Jurassic Park is going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, with that, yeah. I think we can move into our movie rankings. Uh, do you have anything more to say about New Jack City for just no, I, I, it was, it was the first one I, I, uh, I watched, um, and it was just, it was just thoroughly enjoyable. It was just, uh, you know, there were some things I didn't vibe with, but I feel like those were the parts that I feel like I vibed with the most important parts of the movie, um, which is really nice. And maybe on like a rewatch, I'll be able to, I'll be able to enjoy it a lot more, um, but I did thoroughly enjoy it, like on my first, uh, on my first viewing. Yeah, no, this is a funny film I want to check out. Um, but if you had to rank these, what would you do? I don't know why I set it up like that, but it's time to rank <laughs> no, these. No, no, yeah. Um, I think this is gonna be like really, really tough. Um, oh man, ooh, um. Man, I these are all really really fun movies, um, but I think at the bottom, at the bottom I might have Cape Fear. Um, it's like a it's a it's a really good movie, um, but I I do feel like not only have I seen it before, but I feel like even the first time I saw it, um, it's probably. It doesn't offer anything like super unique, um, and I say that because I think I'm gonna put I put New Jack City above it 
Um, I think mainly because that offers such a unique experience. Um, I feel like with Cape Fear, I'm, I'm getting things that I've um, not only literally seen before, but sort of seen things kind of similar-ish to. Um, and then I think above both of those, I'm going to have uh, Robin Hood, just a fun, like just good feeling movie. Um, and then um, I'm going to have at the very top, uh, Terminator with the hand that rocks the cradle just below. Um, I I was Terminator Two is a great movie. I don't think you needed me to tell you that anybody. Um, it's just a fun fun movie. Don't even need to watch the first one. It's just great. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think my list is like kind of similar ish. Um, yeah. At the bottom, I do have like New Jack City. Uh, not for anything like the film does itself but yeah just you know something has to be at the bottom and yeah the icy stuff is really not as good as the wesley snipes part of the film and then above then above that um hmm actually yeah probably just hen hen that rocks the cradle above that yeah, I'm like, oh no, this isn't that similar to Ben's. Again, just really good m- movie. Like, top. Usually, when we're like, oh yeah, top three is like really clo- close here. It's like top four this time is real toss up. And but Hand the Rocks the Cradle, just very solid executed thriller, very well done, very creepy. And I'm very glad that I got to watch this film for this podcast. Um, above that. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, just good, classic. Yeah. It's fun. He does cool arrow tricks, and then also like fight. Yeah, you know, fights in the Crusades, which I guess is not like a plus, but <laughs> still, <laughs> when you watch the rest of the movie and you have a good sense of like what the general tone is, it's really funny that it starts in Jerusalem during the Crusades. <laughs> That's why I keep repeating that. Um. <laughs> no, it's it, it. I cannot stress this enough. I like. I was like, did I download the wrong movie? What the hell's going on? <laughs> he also has like really long hair. Yeah, um, it's great. I I th- yeah. I think the only reason I didn't get I didn't completely like have to like skip forward is because I I I actually I think I've se- I think I've watched Robin Hood in like English class once. Because I remember Morgan Freeman in it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then above that, Kate, Kate Fear. Just really good, really tense. But at the top, gotta give uh, big franchise films coming in like strong at the top of Terminator 2. Which is, I think, one of the best sequels of all time. And just incredibly great like if you haven't watched it in a while you should it's worth it um but how do the villains stack up oh yeah all right i think um again very similar movies these are all like really close Uh, but if one had to go at the bottom i think i would have um alan rickman's um i can't remember something of something ham um yeah, it's. I feel like he's got like a really. I feel like if they just sort of leaned a little more into like his like 
they could have made him a little more like cowardly um because that's sort he's not really like he doesn't really portray that um but like his his sort of actions do and i feel like that's a bit of a missed opportunity to create like a something that can be like really kind of likable but also like really underhanded and kind of like slimy or not really slimy similar to i think a later entry similar to kind of what scar is um and then above that i would have the terminator 2 uh villain um very like fun very good effects um but like no motivation so like it's kind of hard to um to place it very high on the list but still like very fun visually um i love seeing him get like split apart it's just super cool looking um yeah and then above that i would have new jack city um i feel like it's it's really neat it's a really nice he's he is sort of a not only is he a very fun character but he's also a nice like um commentary piece um which i feel like i feel like that that's very you unless we want to get uh like very uh put on our like very like strong cinematic um analysis caps i don't think there's very much commentary with the other villains um other than i think you can probably like i think metal stuff does melt when you throw it in there so i guess there is commentary in terminator 2 um and then it's the top two um i think i'm gonna have to agree with the academy and put the hand that rocks the cradle right above cape fear they're both very similar um but i think i will go with the one that has like a just a fascinating and very like fun villainous experience with a bit of a weaker ending than one that has sort of a pretty good um like villainous like uh like meddling with with a very strong ending um, I think I'm just going to have to go with the hand that rocks the cradle on this one. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, my list, not wildly different. Um, At the bottom, I have Ro- yeah, Robert Patrick, T- T-1000, Terminator 2 there. Just for some of the reasons, what you said, like, he's the most... He's definitely, I think, one of the most intimidating villains on the list. Very much a threat. But, you know, as much as it gets across with pre- presence compared to, like, these other ones, it, it is just hard to ignore that it is kind of like the thinnest character on the list. And yeah. and while maybe that would help him in, like, a different year, for this year surrounded by so many cool personalities, like, it just kind of gets him off on the bottom. Then above that, I would probably put... um. Yeah, I'll, I'll put, honestly, it's a toss-up between, like, Wesley Snipes and Alan Rickman, just kind of for, for two characters I would say are kind of similar, like, Nino Brown's more of a commentary piece, but he, yeah, but, like, he and Sharon Nottingham are, are both sort of just kind of these high-energy, sort of campy, fun villains that really, like, liven up a scene that feel that feel like dangerous maybe Nino Brown gets the edge for like getting his hands dirty more so yeah maybe I'll just put him a bit above like Rickman in there in like the number three spot and and then for yeah for top um yeah I will also like go with the academy here and put hand that rocks the cradle above Cape Fear um it is just a very compelling well, it's two very compelling per 
performances, but you, you know, Rob, Robert De Niro is hitting for the most part the notes like you're expecting him to hit, and he's like being kind of a menace and menace and like M Mrs. Mott is just really like a la really layered and complex villain, like you know up and up until maybe the end when she goes a little bit more into just full on scree screeching villainy, but she. But she is just really compelling to watch and just really livens that, that film up. So, yeah, um, Academy made the right call on this one. Let's see if they can keep it up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, having watched ahead a bit, can hold, I can already tell the moment where they fall short. But, um, <laughs> like, unequivocally, but we'll get to the crush in a couple years. Um, just... For in, <laughs> yeah, just just throwing my shot shot now for a movie I did not like very much at all. Um, but for now it's coming to the recommendation of the week where we'll each recommend something we're kind of liking this week. So what do you got this week, Ben? Yeah. Um. So I think for today, uh, I think the recommendation that I have is going to be oh um. Uh, we, me and you were recently, I'm not sure when the episode's released, but we were recently on a Scooby-Doo. It'll be a couple of weeks old. The Scooby-Doo thing we were on? The he Heavy Metal? Heavy Metal, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, uh, for that Scooby-Doo episode, or for that Scooby-Doo, uh, podcast we were on, I did a little bit of research, um, and I want to recommend, um, uh, Scooby-Doo and Kiss Rock and Roll Mystery. Um, I knew to pick <laughs> this one out. Uh, because I heard on YouTube videos that it's great. The YouTube videos I watched um, told me that it falls apart in the last 10 minutes. Um, and I was like, I'm a pretty agreeable guy. I'm a pretty, like, I enjoy a lot of things. I'm a very hard person to displease. Um, boy, howdy, don't watch the last 10 minutes. There's, like, a concert scene, like, that that fades to black, like, literally literally almost 10 minutes before the end just stop watching stop watching and pretend imagine your own ending because whatever you imagine is going to be better than what happened um it's it sort of saves itself right at the very very end but the last 10 minutes are just so like awful um whereas the rest of the movie is so fun and amazing um heed my warning that i didn't heed and stop watching right at like the last ten minutes after it fades to black after the big concert, and that is Scooby Doo and Kiss Rock and Roll Mystery. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll say you you should listen to that episode of Heavy Metal on a Scooby Doo Valentine. It's it's with our like friend and soon to be our like most recurring guest Ethan, um, and it's a really fun episode. But my main recommendation this week will be for um, a recent, I guess it's not going to be like that recent a month from now, but who knows, maybe it's really taken off, but it's called Yu-Gi-Oh! Master Duel, and it is, it is free to play, but in a way where, even though I'm sure there's probably some stuff that you can pay real life m money for, it does seem to be pretty generous in giving you the stuff you need to, like, buy, buy decks. It is kind of this classic Yu-Gi-Oh! Yeah. 
Yu-Gi-Oh game. It has, like, solo mode. You can play with people. It has hundreds and thousands of cards. Um, my main experience with Yu-Gi-Oh, I think, was for the first five or six years of it. So there's a lot of, like, terminology I am not familiar with, but I'm still able to, to but I'm still, like, have gotten into it and... In a week where I'm like playing that in the new Pokemon game, I feel like a 10-year-old again, and it's great. So yeah, Yu-Gi-Oh! Master Duel, um, which is on, I believe, every major platform, and on, oh yeah, and on mobile as well, so check that out. Yeah. Ah, oh, super neat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what do you have to plug this week, Ben? This week, um, as always, I have my Twitter, um, at uh, Gak, G-H-A-K, G-H-A-K. Um, I will always um, retweet uh, when a new episode comes out, as well as posting um, select things whenever I feel like it. Um, but if you want more consistent content on my Instagram, um, not two pens, that is uh, N-O-T underscore two underscore P-E-N-S, um, every single day, I've been posting both a drawing and a photo of me at the gym, or outside the gym. Um, uh, and that has been what I've been doing. Um, I was in the middle of drawing something before we started doing this podcast, but then I realized I had to update my software to be able to um, use the tutorial I was watching. Um, so... That was uh that was fun and I I I was I just realized I was wearing my drawing glove right up until we were doing our ranking before I took it off. Uh, well, because you were drawing on your wealth of experience watching these movies on <laughs> villainy. Um. <laughs> exactly. I I um yeah I I think I finished up um I think I have a final sketch for our our villain thumbnail. Um, I think I've sent it to you. I think what I've sent you is pretty close to what it is. I think I'm just making sure to add all of the iconic uh, past the golden popcorn features. Yeah, you've um, definitely sent me like a sketch um, version of it. I am excited to see what the final version looks like. <laughs> yeah, I, I really, I was really proud of how the sandwich one came out. The sandwich one is um, so good. It's really funny. I'm like... only ever going to use it once. <laughs> No, I was really, and there are definitely things from that that I'm going to take forward, like little things I've learned that make things look a little better. Um, but I was very, I was very happy with it. Oh, that's yeah, that's really cool. Um, I've also been happy with it. Uh, yeah. So for my plugs, you can follow me on Twitter at like a Wolverine, and you can follow me on Letterbox also at like a Wolverine, where you can find a list of all the films we'll be covering for best villain if you want to watch along, along with just. Other rev- reviews, including my reviews for, like, most of the movies I watch for this podcast, um, and other stuff. And then, as for the pod, um, you can find the pod on Twitter at GoldPopcornPod. You can find us on Instagram, which I hopefully have started up updating by the time you listen to, to this, because I think it just is the intro thing, but you can find it on Instagram at Popcorn. You can email us at PastaGoldenPopcorn at gmail.com Our theme song is by Matt Samard. It's probably going to be a new one. Like, if you listen to last week's, you know I told him to record a new one, so it better be a new one. <laughs> but I'm sure it's great. 
Our artwork is by Ben. It, yeah, you just heard us talking about that now. And you can find, we're on Friendly Mush. There's other cool podcasts there. If you like this one, rate, review, subscribe, do all that jazz, tell your friends. And with that, we can move on from 1992 to to what's coming up for next week for Best Villain 1993, in which we go from New Jack City to a new Jack podcast as our friend Jack (laughs) returns. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And for Best Villain 1993, the nominees are Danny DeVito in Batman Returns. Ray Liotta in Unlawful Entry, Jack Nicholson in A Few Good Men, Sharon Stone in Basic Instinct, and the winner, Jennifer Jason Lee, Single White Female. So yeah, another yeah. another <laughs> wild slate of candidates. Oh, okay, so Basic Instinct is that movie with that scene. Okay, I, I thought it was. Yep. Oh man. <laughs> Basic Instinct is so good. <laughs> oh, I can't. I I feel like it's gonna be. Um, I like that this. I like this list. Not only introduces me to like really weird, obscure things like Smoke that I never would have watched. It also like forces me to watch these like sort of iconic things like like Brokeback Mountain, and, Jurassic um, Park. Exactly. I think the last time I watched Jurassic Park, I fell asleep. <laughs> um, it was a good sleep though. Like it, it was at camp and like. As they, as it was like, welcome to Jurassic. I fell asleep, and as I woke up, everything was wrapping up, and it was so lovely. Um, so, so from what I understand, um, everything went really well at Jurassic Park. Uh, <laughs> they seemed to be really happy at the end. Yeah, well, we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Um, but <laughs> yeah, for now, fa- thanks for listening. Uh, keep passing that golden popcorn, unless you want to be a villain and steal it, and. <laughs> just remember everything we do we do it for you ah yeah <laughs> you know and um as even though the events of this podcast are all fictional um there are bens and kenny's in every city um <laughs> recording podcasts about villains kisses and sandwiches and action um, must be taken <laughs> <laughs> copyright infringement baby <laughs> oh, bye everybody goodbye <laughs>